episode, I speak with elite athlete and motivational speaker, Maggie Thorne. Key points addressed were Maggie's history as a track and field college athlete and the subsequent career that followed it at the University of Nebraska. Maggie explains how both of these opportunities led up to her becoming one of the most famous American Ninja Warriors to date. We also unpack the ethos behind Maggie's brand and how her phrase, never give up, serves not only as a guiding light for her present and future endeavors, but also remains a constant theme throughout her past, which was riddled with obstacles itself. Stay tuned for my fascinating talk with Maggie Thorne. My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series contains interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts regardless of age, status, or industry. We aim to contribute to the evolving global dialogue surrounding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to check out our subsequent series that dive deep into specific areas such as vegan life, fasting, and roundtable topics. They can be found via our website, patriciacathleen.com, where you can also join our newsletter. You can also subscribe to all of our series on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone and welcome back. I am your host Patricia and today I'm elated to be sitting down with Maggie Thorne. Maggie is an athlete and motivational speaker. You can find out more regarding her, her services and all the information we talk about today on her website www.maggiethorne.com. That's www.maggithorne.com. Welcome Maggie. Hello, thank you so much. Hi, I'm excited to unpack everything with you. We were talking off the record, and um, I, you're famous in my household. I have four children that worship American Ninja Warrior, as well as a lot of the other games that you've been involved in with your story, and so I can't wait to kind of unpack that. And you're our first Ninja Warrior on the show, so I'm excited to kind of climb through everything with you. Well, I love that you just said climb through everything, because we are certainly going to unpack some obstacles today, so thank you for the opportunity. You bet. For everyone listening who might be new to our podcast, um, I will read a bio on Maggie to give you a, a brief background before I start asking her to unpack her history with us herself. But prior to doing that, a roadmap for today's podcast and the uh, trajectory of inquiry that we'll be following, we'll first look at Maggie's academic and professional background as it pertains to where she is right now. And then we'll look at unpacking all of her endeavors. We'll look at un, um, unpacking her athletic endeavors with American Ninja Warriors, Spartan Race, things of that nature, as well as her professional life and getting into motivational speaking, some of the ethos and philosophy that motivates uh, both of those things that she's kind of known for. Um, and then we'll look towards goals that Maggie has for the next one to three years. This is an area that's changed for everyone, given the pandemic uh, climate that is upon us, as well as for Maggie herself, given um, her history with um, competing and all of her activities. We're up everything up with advice that Maggie has for those of you who are looking to get involved or emulate some of her um, dynamic success. So as promised, a quick bio on Maggie before I start peppering her with questions. Maggie Thorne is an American Ninja Warrior five-time competitor. She was the second mom up the warped wall and the first to, be, uh, to beat the salmon ladder. An NBC Spartan Ultimate Team Challenge, two-time um, champion competitor, and a previous Mrs. International 2014. In 2013, she placed second at the world's toughest mud run, mudder running 
75 mile, completing 330 obstacles in 24 hours. Maggie served as a global ambassador for Feed One, traveling the world in an effort to further Feed One's mission of helping others with the gift of a nutritious meal. Recently, she created a bow patch with the Girl Scouts to inspire female entrepreneurship, empowerment, and community engagement, which thousands of Scouts have earned since 2019. Maggie is a previous Governor's Award winner for Inspiring Community Engagement and Heart American Association Heart of Gold Award recipient. Professionally, she speaks to hundreds of thousands on inspiration and never giving up, in addition to engaging volunteers globally. A mother of three, she and her kids love serving, being active, traveling together, and in her spare time, she loves to eat chips and salsa, which I have to say is possibly one of the most fantastic things to just kind of put out there about yourself, Maggie. I love that. <laughs> your career and everything that you've done and a lot of the particulars that I have um, to inquire with you about. I'm wondering if you can kind of give us a general background of your academic and professional history prior to becoming um, the American Ninja Warrior that kind of propelled you into this. One of the biggest misnomers about myself and any success is people say, oh man, anything you do, you're successful at and you have the golden touch. But what they don't really realize is where I started at. And to jump back to the good old days of the 1980s that we all love to be nostalgic. I was born in San Diego and grew up in a low-income home. And we lived with another family. And I actually never played sports growing up at all. I wasn't an involved child. I did Girl Scouts. I was a Girl Scout and loved that time as a Girl Scout. But it wasn't until a teacher in high school at the age of 14 who thought I looked fast in PE and gave me an opportunity to become a California state champion. I became one of the top runners in California. And where that ties in for me academically is both of my brothers were high school dropouts. Um, the highest grade completed in my family was high school. So college wasn't something immediately on the radar for me as a kid. And I thought I was gonna enlist in the military and become some kind of Air Force a person who would serve our country. And it turns out I got to be a professional athlete later in my life um, who ended up having a college degree. And that was the first person in my family who ever had a college degree, which was just, of all the accomplishments, if I look back, uh, school was a huge challenge for me. I really struggled with it. I didn't have a lot of academic support, support and really looking at the academic history of my family around me, it was a little hard to be motivated when you think, well, both my brothers dropped out. There wasn't a huge push for me to go further academically. So it, it started to be a series of choices that I really had to realize I'm gonna write my own story. Like I'm gonna have to choose where I end up. There's nothing else around me that is gonna determine my path, but me, I decide. And so that played a huge role into a lot of decisions I made going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, being a trailblazer that early on was something is, I think college, you know, for those that don't come from a family of it is, is daunting, you know, the, the prospect of anything um, of that level without having someone to kind of refer you as to, you know, the process even. Um, silly things, financial aid forms, you know, <laughs> those used to <laughs> in the day, things have gone electronically, but it was that kind of thing when you don't have anyone who's done it before can seem almost insurmountable insurmountable. What did you end up majoring in? Well, I wanted to be a PE teacher. And two weeks after I got to the University of Nebraska, they unfortunately dropped that major. 
And the only other thing I could do was get a bachelor's degree in community health without entirely starting over my academic career. I had a huge support system at Nebraska. That was actually one of the top reasons that I chose Nebraska. It wasn't just that I got a full ride or they had a great track program, which they absolutely did, but I had to take a step back and look at the academic support that they had, and it was off the chart. They have more academic All-Americans than any school in the country, and that's even over Ivy League schools. And, you know, you're surrounded by cornfields and counselors. So they really helped set the table for that and then being able to decide that degree. What was that experience like as a college athlete? I haven't spoken to too many, um, particularly guests on this show, that speak to the experience. We've heard stories in the news where things, you know, on Olympic teams and things like that can be horrific. And I've also heard stories of camaraderie. But for you, what was that experience like? Number one, I loved my experience in Nebraska. From the moment I stepped on campus for my recruiting trip, it was so welcoming. I do remember on my recruiting trip, a quick funny story. Uh, they got me a sandwich after I got off the airplane. And unfortunately, there had been a hair in my sandwich. And I think they thought I was never going to sign as a recruit after that because they were mortified when this big, long hair came out of my mouth. Uh, but from day one, they're like, we're so sorry. We'll make it right. And I remember walking around. Everybody said, how are you? But then they stopped. They didn't keep moving past you. They meant it. They were really invested in your life. They knew, how's your family doing? Um, when I was a student athlete, my brother had died by suicide. And the support I got from people, everyone writing personal notes, you know, not just a group card, but other people who were on the academic staff pulling me in, my coaches, do you need any support? Are you okay? So I really had an amazing experience there. There were things that were hard, absolutely. There's things that we did as an athlete that we got pushed, um, but I think that it's shaped part of who I am. I had a coach that was from Russia, and at the time I thought he was so hard on me because there were other athletes, if it was snowing or raining, you know, we're in Nebraska, and I would see them not having to practice inside or outdoors when we were, or, you know, they would get to back out of a meet if it was snowing. But one day, because I was complaining, I was being such a big baby. He goes, Maggie, if today was Big 12 championship, would you run? And I was like, yes, Victors, absolutely I'd run. If today was national championship, would you run? Yes, Victors. He goes, then today you run and every day you run like a champion, regardless. And I was like, Okay, and I think I just did like five accents there, but he's Russian and he was fantastic. But I remember that because I think one of the reasons I've become successful is it wasn't deciding to be my best when it was always convenient or it was the most opportune time. It was learning to be my best when I was at my worst consistently. And that some people might have to wrap their head around that for a little bit. But my time at Nebraska shaped me forever. It launched me into careers, into what I did next, which we'll probably talk about in a second. But I loved being a student athlete. The discipline that was a part of it. I was in the weight room by 5.30 in the morning. Then I was in class. Then I took a power nap for 30 minutes every day. And then I was practicing again. So I spent six to seven hours or whatever was NCAA allowed. I don't want to, I'm sure we stuck to that. But I spent, you know, it was a part-time, full-time job, if you really want to say it, being a student athlete and then working and then doing your academics. And then I also served on the student athlete advisory committee. So there was, there was a lot involved that it taught me how to have practical life skills that really apply to the real world. Yeah. And for the real world you encountered particularly, right, in your future to come. Yes. 
one can be taken on a lot of levels. I think there are a lot of people that it's, a, it's an interpersonal dialogue. That word conjures up different things for anyone that it's asked to, you know, and for athletes, it's a very special relationship with the word discipline. So I'm wondering after you came out of college, what did you go into next? What was your first kind of professional encounter? When I was a student athlete, I had one class left before I graduated. And at that time, I actually thought I was gonna end up being a personal trainer and I was going to enroll in graduate school to get a, de a graduate degree in nutrition and health science. I wanted to do nutrition counseling at the time. But I had that one class and then I had free time. And even as a student athlete or, you know, a college senior, I was so uncomfortable with having so much free time. I thought I should really get a job. So I asked my coaches if they knew anybody on campus that needed a worker. And it turns out the facilities and construction crew needed a worker. So I started as a student worker for Nebraska Athletic Department picking up trash. I used to vacuum suites. I'd set up tables. And turns out, uh, 10 years later, I ended up managing $340 million in projects and designing and managing the facilities I used to clean. So that's in a scope of it. So I'm going to jump back to let everybody know how did that really happen? When I was a student, when I was that student worker on the grounds crew, they had a secretary that was gone one day and I was the only female. So they brought me in to answer phones. Yeah, you can all chuckle at that one. Only girls can answer phones, uh, which isn't true. I'm going to say that very much. But there was a group of guys talking about projects and I had an idea and so I spoke up. And I think it's so important for people to do that, to not think that you're not qualified enough, you're not good enough, your ideas aren't good, just because you're not a person standing in the room with a suit. I mean, I had a t-shirt and jeans on and they all looked at me and then one of the persons who was in charge of that department said, I want you to start coming in, bringing a suit and still bring your grounds crew, clo grounds crew clothes and he would just give me projects, no instruction with the projects. He would just tell me something to do and see where I would take it. And that's how it really started. It was because someone missed a day of work, which I'll say to this day, I can't transfer a phone call. Um, there are so many notes that week of people, they were out, they were busy. I was like, oh, there's too many buttons. Um, but eventually he asked me, he said, what do you want to do with your life? I said, well, I'm not, I'm not super sure, but I know I will never spend every day in an office wearing a suit. And I spent the next 10 years in an office wearing a suit. So I learned never say never. You have to open yourself up for opportunity because that could change the world, literally. Can't count ourselves out. But it came down to, there was a one day when I think this is the day that I really got hired we were working on the Nebraska football lounge. We were redesigning it. And it was a meeting that I wasn't even invited to. I'll say that right now. But I was hungry for it. And so what I did, and keep in mind, you heard what my degree is. I had a bachelor's degree in community health. I never had any experience in construction, architectural design, engineering. But every day when they left the office, I sat down and I taught myself how to use every single program that they used, AutoCAD, 3D design, Photoshop, all of the Microsoft programs. And then I taught myself how to read floor plans. And so it came down to that meeting and my boss, and they had an intern who had a master's degree in architectural design. And I walked into his office with the floor plans and I said, are you ready to go? And he, he didn't want to tell me no. So he said, yeah, uh, sure, come to the meeting. He was being so kind. And when we showed up, the thing that happened is I was prepared. 
No one had asked me to be prepared. No one told me what to do. If you want something, you've got to be able to figure it out. You can't sell yourself short. I didn't have the degree. So that was the day I think I got hired because the, there is the principal of a firm who said, does anyone else have any other comments on the drawings? And no one expected me to say a thing. And I pulled out my floor plans and I said, I actually have some comments. And everybody, again, they looked at me. And after the meeting, he came up to me and he said, I have to tell you, nobody ever catches things like that except me. And he's the senior principal of a firm. And so my boss looked and eventually six months later, I had to compete for that job against that intern that had a master's degree in architectural design. And I had a bachelor's degree in community health and I got hired. So I spent my next 10 years doing that. And it was amazing. All the facilities I got to use as student athlete, I got to create awesome environments, build an arena, expand a football stadium, build a volleyball arena. So if anybody ever wants to tell me, oh, I can't, I'm not equipped, I don't have the degree, my family was too poor, I'm really the wrong person to say that to. Yeah, absolutely stacked against you. And those software, not for nothing, but AutoCAD, um, I, I, my, when my partner in life is, you know, one of the original Silicon Valley computer nerds, and I've, I feel like I've touched almost every software piece out there. AutoCAD is my least favorite. It's not friendly. It is like <laughs> in the aughts. It is like too much there, too much utility. So teaching that to yourself is, I mean, the grit that was required with that alone is, um, is astounding. So you, you went on to, it's, you were, a, you were an employee through this department at, of University of Nebraska for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Yes. Universities are an interesting umbrella to work under because they're kind of their own microclimate, but they have a lot of the similarities as far as the aspects and the software and things like that, but they have their own hierarchy, I think. You know, I worked for the University of Utah for a spell and um, it's just its own microclimate. I tried to, to explain it to people like, you know, there's it's, you have the professional industry and then you have the university bubble as well and everything functions under boards and committees and this and there's a lot of different you know, boxes that get checked for things. So it's, um, it's, it's an, a lesson, I think, in patience as well as process, right? It feels <laughs> sometimes when I think about universities. So what happened, um, how, what caused you to leave that job? I loved that job and I actually loved it so much that sometimes I would really choose it over friends or family in gatherings. And there's a lot of things that got pushed aside. And I started to have this pull of, Every day, you know, we we're building the East Stadium expansion and I watched it go up from the first piece of steel that went in and I, I love something being built from the ground up. My heart space is on a job site, but as I watched it construct, I'd walk over this bridge every day from where I parked and I just felt like God started to say, don't just build buildings, build people. And every single day I was on a job site and I felt it. And eventually, unfortunately, my best friend in the world, she was the maid of honor at my wedding when I had gotten married, she died by suicide. And she was the second person who in my life, my brother had in 2005, and then she did in 2011. So within 10 years, I lost two people to suicide. And the day of her funeral, I was standing over her casket and I thought I can have all the success in the world, but what if I lose people? Like it, it just doesn't matter. I could put my name on every building in the city of Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, and I, I, I've been a part of so many quote unquote important projects, but when you're a part of building someone's life, that's, it's amazing. There's nothing that compares being able to just share love and empower someone. So I made a commitment that day. 
that I was gonna love people. So I, I had through about three years, we were in the middle of the biggest capital campaign that had ever existed for Nebraska athletics. And I wanted to be committed to what I was assigned. I was at the helm of a lot of the projects with my boss, John Ingram, who was fantastic and definitely empowered me in so many ways as a male leader supporting a female in a male dominated industry. But I, I had told him, I said, I think I'm gonna uh, leave eventually. And it's really my passion to go love people and, and build people and not buildings. And he knew that. So I started getting involved outside of work in Mrs. International. I wanted to take the skills that I had and I had learned over time because as a part of Nebraska Athletics, <laughs> that role grew a lot where I was a part of hiring committees, a part of the rebrand for the entire athletic department. When we made our move to, from the big 12 to the big 10 contracts, you know, I ended up leading our recycling initiatives as a university. So there's a lot of things that I had never had experience with, with yet they're my plate. And I thought, okay, well, these are skills that can translate and impacting lives. And how do we do that? And so I wanted to find platforms. I had a marketing background now. There are things I knew how to do. I didn't know how to do makeup to save my life. I used to call eyeshadow eye powder. I mean, it took me like an hour and several <laughs> minutes of tears to like not get my eyes glued together putting on lashes. So uh, pageants was a great platform, but then I also felt like it was gonna teach me how to speak well from that platform. and. It, if you really want to impact lives, you need to sharpen those skills. In 30 seconds, you should be able to tell anybody what you want to do with your life and how you're going to do it quickly and concisely. I think that's important for people to know that, to always have an elevator speech because you need to live ready if you want to live with purpose. So I ended up competing for Mrs. International. I got top 10 my first year. And what I did was I stood back as I watched the other girl get crowned because at that time I thought, well, I'm ready. You know, that was the athlete in me. I'm ready. I'm going to win. I didn't realize how ready I wasn't. So I just stood back and I was watching everything unfold on stage. And that's kind of how I learned. If you'll hear this theme over time is I just learned and invested. And so the next year I came back and I won. I wasn't a pageant girl. It had been about 15 years since I had done wasn't a teenager. And I had also spent the last decade having babies. I have three children. So I decided to become a professional runner at that time too, because that makes sense. Let's do that. So uh, it really set the stage. This is all before American Ninja Warrior. They started to tie in together. Um, but I really wanted to broaden myself to be able to have a broad audience and a broad impact and see how it could uniquely and creatively impact lives. Yeah. And it sounds like it, it, it all sounds very um, like a, a path that makes sense, you know, now that you're kind of unpacking it as to what you became, even the public health aspect of it, because, you know, I mean, what you went on to do, which is kind of affect public health. How did you first come into contact or how did American Ninja Warrior enter your radar zone? In college, I was roommates with Jesse Graff, which for you as a Ninja Warrior fan and for your kids, she is one of the top females. She's absolutely amazing. And so people don't really realize we've actually been friends for 17, 18 years now. So we were roommates. I knew she had competed on American Ninja Warrior and I had someone tell me, oh, you should do that. So I talked to Jesse and I applied 
And the first year I really thought I was going to go out and crush it. Jessie was by my side. She helped me train. She flew out to Nebraska. She was trying to make sure I got ready and she had not competed that year. It was actually an off year for her. But I went out and I fell on the very first step, my very first year, and they aired it. So people go, you the girl that face planted. Yep, yep, yep. And little did we know, five years later, it happened again, but in a much more traumatic way. Yeah. But I applied the next year for Ninja Warrior, and I actually got rejected. And then I applied the next year for Ninja Warrior, and I got rejected again. So I was three years into it, and I can't tell you how many people, at this point in my journey, on the outside, it wasn't making sense to anybody. You're doing pageants, you're doing races, now you're doing American Ninja Warrior and you're getting rejected and yet you're still going for it. Clearly they don't want you, you should give up. And if anybody knows me, they think about my brand, it's never give up. And I believe that with every part of my fiber and my being and my soul. And I believe that for people, if you have to just know who you are and your passion so much that it's such a part of you that you can tell people, I'm gonna continue. Cause it, <laughs> I was not supported at that time. I will just say that it was a really challenging journey to keep going. So four years into it and came back as the top female. So I went from one of the worst to one of the best and the only one who would be crank it up. And all those people who said, you shouldn't do this. You should, it's not right. How did you do it? And so it was just, it was really important as I learned, started to learn as a teenager that I had to make a choice for my own journey. And then also for me, knowing what God wanted for my life and that path and where it was going to go. So Ninja Warrior has been such an amazing platform to reach families, empower women, build people in, in a real way of overcoming obstacles above and beyond a course. I remember when you were first, the first time I saw you on, and I'm not sure which year it was for you, but I remember when I first saw you on, um, watching it with my little girls, they were, we were talking about, um, they had mentioned your story and they were talking about how you had three young children and you were a single mom. And, um, and I kind of paused and the only thing that really like, I've, I've just met so many prolific, wonderful, amazing women in my life. It wasn't shocking. I just thought, I wonder when she sleeps. Because if she's training for this and working and a, a full-time, you know, parent as a single parent would be, um, it seemed to me like uh, you would need some kind of help with some of it. What kind of aid did you have during that time period? And can you kind of describe your training routine? Was it similar to training in college? I mean, you have to, to kind of design your own training, I would think, the circuit, even if they're shared prolific, you know, passes and things like that online between the different ninjas, you're designing your your schedule, your training time, your routine. What did life look like during that time period when you went from, you know, unknown to the top female on Ninja Warrior? It was really challenging. I, living in Nebraska, do not have any family here. So it was really hard to do it. I mean, there's, there's no way to put it. And one time I actually got asked in an interview, what do you like about being a single parent? And I didn't realize I was going to react this way but I about had a, like a nervous breakdown in front of them. Like it, no one had ever asked me that. It hit me in such a way that I just, I started sobbing and I looked at them and I said, I hate it. I don't like this. Like, it's not what life's supposed to be like. And they were like, uh, just why don't you take a second? We'll ask you a different question. Cause it was, it was an in-person interview actually by the TV show. Um, and I don't think they realized, you know, the number one, I told the show, I never want to promote divorce. It was the hardest 
decision I, I ever had to make, and I can't express enough the amount of counsel that I had surrounding that. Um, yeah. If you can really work it out, I want, and both parties are willing, I want to encourage that. So I just need to say that now. And then number two, uh, it wasn't training like an athlete because I, it was really hard to have set schedules. You know, my kids came first. So if I'm dropping off or someone says, hey, will you come have lunch with me today? Mom, I forgot my bag. Will you bring it to school? You know, and then I freelanced for work doing what I could and find sponsorships. And so for me, really, it was the minute they went to bed is when I got to train. You know, if I could fit in an hour during the day or 30 minutes during the day, knowing that, okay, well, maybe I can get the rest of it in tonight. So I didn't have these dedicated training sessions. And then probably the most difficult part for me was I, there was no ninja gym here the entire time I competed on American Ninja Warrior. Hmm. So all the equipment I trained on, I got from thrift stores, a tire I found on the side of a road, like a truck tire. And, uh, really if someone wants it you can make it work i just had to figure out how to adapt once again and thankfully my kids all love being active so when i did travel people know this like i'm a package deal there's a really hard line in the sand and if my kids can't be involved i won't do it and i have to trust god to like say no to some really hard things sometimes that you're like wow that would be so financially good but they're like yeah, it just might not be the best with your kids around. I'm like, well, then it's a no, because we, I mean, you know, as a parent, you get such a short window of time and I'm just not willing to trade that. Absolutely. I wonder when you talk about doing it on your own, there not being a ninja gym there, I, the micro muscles, did you have to learn more? Did you study more about getting into, because it feels like, so looking at some of the obstacles over the years, especially how they've changed and things like that, it, it feels like you have to kind of fine tune into different regions. Jesse Graff was talking about, a, I think, a shoulder injury or something, or maybe it was someone else, and they were talking about like slowing down their reps of their pull-ups so that they could get absolutely perfect form so that the micro muscles and that all that whole area would rehab correctly. And I think of in terms of the different obstacles, how would you get your body ready for the task at hand and get to the place that you did so prolifically without testing any of the courses or, or the activities themselves out? Did you find yourself studying anatomy or were you just doing what you could and hoping that there would be some kind of cross-pollination effect? I think it's probably a mix of it. Uh, Jessie has always been a huge influence and even to the point of what you just said she's actually the one who taught me hey this is how you should really do a pull-up focus on these mechanics so she's just always been a huge influence in how I've competed as a ninja but also I think that's where being a track athlete came in I was a hurdler which is a really it's a technical event you have to even as you warm up watch your mechanics go slow repetition 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 so repetition was very important for me. And what I learned to do was stay flexible, build the muscle groups, especially I'm an older athlete. I mean, people to remember most ninjas are in their early twenties. I am now 39 years old. So I had to make sure I don't want to throw myself eight feet in the air and catch something and rip both of my shoulders off. So that was something that was so important for me uh, to make sure to build all of those groups, the dynamics, the functions, I didn't have a warped wall. Well, what muscle groups am I going to use on a warped wall? What will most replicate it? And then absolutely, we spent a ton of time on playgrounds. I mean, if you want a ninja warrior gym, go swing around on a playground. So that was always super fun for us. 
And then I did have lots of opportunities to get out to ninja gyms as I was starting to speak. My kids would come with me. And so I would train on the road and try to get in some time and competitions. I will say, yeah, there's ways where I could see where it affected me, where I wasn't as fluid or I couldn't be able to cast myself as well on a lache. And those are just things that eventually an owner of a gymnastics gym here in Lincoln, Nebraska gave me a key to his gym just so I could try to practice laches. And you can get creative. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have to. And it sounds like you've honed in on that skill your entire life. Um, I'm wondering, you're starting to speak, you know, you're, you're starting to compete, you didn't get in, then you were, you got in on the walk online for Ninja Warrior. This is prior to, you know, you um, taking the title. I'm wondering, um, you're starting to do public speaking and things like that, recovery wise, like, I think a lot of um, ninjas are starting to speak more about this. But in the past, um, I had a friend who was an Olympic hopeful in gymnastics, and she talked a lot about like the devoutness of her gym about recovery after meets. And it's the reason why she thinks she went so far and a lot of um, fellow athletes that didn't have the same focus on that. And I'm wondering, um, how do you personally come at recovery? Because it kind of plays into your story as it lies now. But back then, when you were just beginning those first few years and seasons and things like that, what was recovery like for you? Like you trained nonstop and then how long did you spend in recovery? Was there rehabilitation that had to take place? How did that all work for you? As a student athlete, it was a high priority. I will say I had to learn for Ninja Warrior because I was doing different muscles in different groups. I mean, I, I spent 10 years turning left and jumping over sticks. So there's a little bit of a different dynamic but after practice, and I think it's one of the reasons when I was a Division One athlete is I was in the ice bath every day. I made sure to do my cool down. I stretched. I ate right. I hydrated. I got sleep. So translating that to Ninja Warrior, I struggled to learn what to, what was right or what my shoulders needed. And there were points where I, I didn't know when to stop. And now I've learned to listen to my body. But I did get to the points where I'd hurt my shoulders so bad I to put on or take off a sports bra was just about excruciating for me. And some days even just lifting my shoulder up. And that's when I started to make sure, as you mentioned earlier, building the muscle groups around like, it's basically like building a body of armor around you for when you compete. And then I have to know when to say no on things. You know what? I did just spend eight hours in a car and this course looks fun and I wanna play with all my friends but I think I need to say no right now unless I'm dedicated to spending the next 45 minutes to warm up. So you learn sometimes yeah. the hard way. <laughs> yeah. That rotator sounds bad. Not <laughs> your arms up. Like that's, that's a no, uh, there are a lot of activities that would be limited with that. So I want to get into um, you're kind of the pinnacle of the American Ninja Warrior as well, as well as the Spartan games. So for people who are listening that maybe haven't, seen the show or been living in a cave somewhere. Um, American Ninja Warrior is this multiple obstacle course. How would you define it? If someone was like, oh, I've never heard of that. What, what, what is that? What were you on? For American Ninja Warrior, and then one thing I'd say, it's a family-friendly show that is stories of people who are not only overcoming obstacles in their life, but they have an opportunity to do it on a global platform to overcome obstacles literally physically in person as people cheer them on. And, and that's what it is. Uh, we all debate about this as ninja sport. Yes, I do believe it is a sport. 
but it's all the, also this blend of it's something that you can turn on and you know you never have to worry about it with your family and I've appreciated that as mom um, but it, there's these feats of physical strength that <laughs> I mean you can tell you see it in my eyes when I compete like my knuckles are white and I'm holding on with everything I have and you feel it I think you feel it as the audience member where you're like oh just hold on you oh you can oh you can do this and then they make it through and that's like everybody's chairing in the living room with you and you know that as an athlete you know that you're part of something that's so much bigger than stepping onto a tv show and that's such a cool responsibility i think i just took it longer but when people ask me to talk about it i nerd out a little bit because i love it so much Absolutely. And from that, your family, your kind of Ninja Warrior family spilled over into the Spartan Games, right? You were on a team of people that was um, formerly ninjas. Yes, we were team ninja for the Spartan show, competed for two seasons. It was such a cool experience. And I will say things like Spartan or, and I haven't competed on Titan Games, uh, but those are actually more up my alley. I love brute strength mud, grit, uh, not that you don't have grit on Ninja, but it's definitely different with Spartan or something like a Titan Games. It, it was more suitable to my comfort zone, believe it or not, to, yes, I want to have six people stand on my shoulders on a tilted wall. That sounds fantastic. It really actually does. So <laughs> I loved it. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it defines a personality type for sure, you know, and it's, it is uniquely different. Everyone's like, it's the same thing, right? They're obstacle courses. I'm like, no, they're very, very different. It's oh, so different. Yeah, Spartan, it was brutal. We were just exhausted. And I think people saw that in our last race. We actually competed back-to-back -back nights and got home at 7 a.m. and had to be back on set at 4 p.m. after we competed night after night and then compete again. And yeah, it's, uh, we were tired. <laughs> yeah, it's an endurance, it looks like an endurance game. You know, Ninja Warrior feels like there's a lot of technicalities that can go wrong and end your, your run early. But the Spartan, it seems to just leave it all out there on the course, as they say. Um, I'm wondering, so let's climb into, you had kind of this um, now very famous moment in, um, you finished, you know, you became, um, this, this title holder for how far you went up until that point. Can you kind of describe the run? Is it Oklahoma City that that run happened in? Oklahoma City in 2019 uh, for American Ninja Warrior. It was my fifth year competing in the show officially. <laughs> and I was excited, but I'd also say I was probably the most relaxed I had ever been. Uh, I was really, really intense the year before for Minneapolis in my training to the point that maybe like overly intense. So going into this year, I thought, you know, I'm just going to really soak this in. I knew it was in God's hands. Um, but on prelims night, I had actually fallen and saved myself by like two pinky fingers or I mean, something ridiculous. And I didn't realize I could heel hook my leg up to pull myself up. Uh, on the diving boards, but then what happened actually the next night in finals going into it on the same obstacle, the diving boards, I tripped and I face planted. And what the diving boards are is they're pieces of steel that are covered for traction, traction, not padding. And what that caused was a brain injury. Uh, we didn't know it at the time. And I don't remember most of my run. I've tried to get parts and pieces of it. And 
I got to experience it with the rest of the world. So I didn't see it before it aired. No one had video of it. The producers, you know, they don't share film with us. We don't get to see our runs or how they edit it. Um, so watching it was really emotional. I watched it first in public. There was a watch party and I tried to actually not really watch it. And then immediately after I was in Virginia, I, I went to my hotel room and I watched it and I just cried. Cause I was like, <laughs> I had spent the last, oh, it was four or five months as an outpatient at a brain trauma hospital in about 20 hours a week of rehab, doing speech and cognitive, physical, um, PT, OT. I ended up having a psychologist or a therapist and then vision. So pretty much almost everything that they had in the unit um, was a part of my life. And so those emotions were just felt so strongly because not only did I go to the ER that night from set, Mm-hmm. But I went to the ER that uh, Thursday. I had a friend come and check on me because I don't even remember driving home from o- Oklahoma City. One of my friends found someone else to drive me and my kids got us home. Uh, it was another person we had been training with. And there was this caravan. And the, la- the last thing I remember is being on stage for the starting line. And then I was standing in my kitchen in Lincoln, Nebraska. So it was so... Uh, surreal and confusing and I finally got to see why I had been so miserable so to speak for so many months and then just started to talk about it because I didn't realize how many people are actually affected by by brain injuries but then number two it also forced me to stop in such a real way and think about how fast I was going in every area of my life and I can say right now, I think it's actually a gift. I had a brain injury because uh, I didn't prioritize self-care. You asked me about that. How, how were you a single mom? I was training 40 hours a week. I was working 40 hours a week. I was parenting, you know, 40 hours a week. I, I did. I was living in a constant state of survival mode. And I think it was such mercy and grace that God's like, I love you too much to let you keep living like this. Yeah. So it's, it's such a gift for me today to slow down and make sure I continue to build in rest and slowing down and say no to some things so I can allow for other yeses in my life. And I think that sometimes um, as simple or maybe even um, trite as it sounds, slowing down can require more discipline, you know, for someone who is prolifically moving through life, young parents, yeah. People who just are constantly juggling things, actually taking space and holding still and really continuing thought through, thinking about things like self-care can be um, much more nerve-wrenching, you know, than um, running a marathon because it's, you know, motion, what stays in motion is constant and things like that. But when you stop and you question, it can be a daunting place, even if you're doing well, you know, prolifically well with all of these wonderful titles and this incredible career to sit and actually really question yourself and, and re-identify and, and revisit those conversations is, it can be a lot, you know, to handle. Um, brain injuries, I, um, we, we spoke off the record. I do have a, a colleague and friend who suffered from one. And um, I think you mentioned in an, a prior interview that I read of yours that it's, they're incredibly painful because it's not seen on the outside frequently. The, the individual looks incredibly normal, but the suffering on the inside and 
the therapies, um, particularly with my colleague and friend, she, you know, post and, and recovery from the actual therapies themselves sometimes would take her a day and a half, you know, just to kind of um, reorient. It, it was a, a very painful recovery process. It wasn't just laying in bed, taking time, getting well, you know, the, all of that was amazing. Has, have you incorporated that um, kind of dialogue and, and conversation into your public speaking now? Do you think it will change how you go on to relate to your audiences and what you do? It absolutely has. It's impacted it in a great way where a lot of people, they want to know how can I survive something traumatic? Uh, there's a lot more to my story. People want to dig deeper, probably on some interview somewhere, but I had a history of trauma from the time I was like five years until adulthood of different things that happened from rape, assault, abuse. Um, and so that brain injury, it really literally forced me to sit still. Mm -hmm. And the very first day I ever had to sit still, which I can't tell you the time I remember doing it before that, like I legitimately can't tell you when I told you I rested before that, I screamed and it was so scary. And the next day I went into the hospital and told them, I think I'm on the verge of an emotional breakdown. But I said it in such a casual way, they didn't know what to do. And I was like, listen, I'm not vulnerable. I'm an athlete. I'm trying to tell you I need help. And I will absolutely advocate for that in such a real way to not burn both candlesticks, you know, from both ends. Like it's success is success, but if you can't have peace in your life, uh, it's really all for naught, kind of is what I believe. And I echo with what your friend said. Uh, for me, my vision was the hardest hit. I hit on the right side of my face. It affected some of my nerves and my eyes didn't communicate with each other. So it forced me to not be on my phone. I couldn't even answer an email. I couldn't look at technology. I physically couldn't handle the scroll of a screen. I had to reach out and ask for help. Being away from my technology, gifts. Being away from my emails, yeah. gifts. Um, and it, it really restructured my entire life. And I know I still do have effects. I talk about it a lot less um, because I get that. People are like, oh, you're so strong. Can't wait for your comeback. You look amazing and I'm like I just want to be healthy like I can't focus on that and I, I called the producers before I told anyone else I was going to announce it I said you just need to know this is what I'm going to say I'm so grateful for American Ninja Warrior but like I'm I can't even think about anything beyond recovery right now because I was at the point where I was literally losing my vision I wasn't having double vision but my eye therapy was so aggressive I would go home and not be able to see for 45 minutes and that was scary uh, so I, I want to make sure that first and foremost, I'm the most physically healthy mom I can be because I can go out and train. Like I know how to train. I know how to do well. But if I do that and then get hurt again, then what? Right. So my health is such a priority and I want to advocate for that for all people to build that in. And we have phones. It's great. It's so fun. <laughs> Yeah, and it's honorable. I think that, you know, this, um, the athletic spirit is celebrated, but sometimes I think just one piece of it celebrated, just that moment on top of the mountain, you know, um, sometimes maybe the training and the climb up, but um, there's another piece of that, you know, there's another, there's always growth. 
And I think that the story of, of the athlete that has, for any reason, injury or not, kind of hit the, the moment where they're, they're moving on to something else. It's another pivot, you know, that, um, that's equally as, as celebratory. The story is, you know, continuing. You're not ceasing to exist because you're not on American Ninja Warrior in 2021 or whatever. Um, and to that end, I want to ask you, what is your um, your future? Have you thought about the next one to three years? I know a lot of times in recovery, even um, therapists will encourage you to just keep your sights like on this one goal. And so if, the, if it isn't out there, I don't want to <laughs> encourage you to not or to have one. But have you thought about professionally speaking more, any of those types of things for the next one to three years for yourself? What do you see? Within the last couple of weeks, I've definitely set goals for what the next one to three years look like. I will say before that, that's the number one question I got from everybody when I spoke, what's next, what's next, what's next? Mm -hmm. And I had to be okay telling everybody, I don't know yet. And that was my answer for a while. My next thing is to not have a next thing. And I think that's actually what is gonna set me up best for what will eventually be next. And that sounds like a big tongue twister riddle, but it was so important to not have a next for a little bit and be okay with that. Well now, yes, I wanna continue and I will continue to speak and engage with people on a global scale, including Girl Scout partnerships, uh, empowering youth to be healthy, goal-setting individuals. Writing a book is on the table for me. It has been for a long time. I know God's told me for that for a while but I just need to be able to focus enough to get something specific. But most immediately, I'm actually applying for a master's degree in biblical studies with Colorado Christian University. I wanna, you know, why not get a brain injury and go back to school? That sounds about right. So that's what I am gonna be focusing on is I'm gonna be searching for scholarships to go back to school as a single mom and get a master's degree. I think it'll be important for my kids to be a part of that process as well. And then I think it, will honestly help me as a TBI survivor. It, it is gonna be challenging. I do still have cognitive challenges, but I, I think it's gonna be healthy to face them. I don't wanna live in fear of them or mm -hmm. worry or, or be scared. I think that I'll continue to need the right people to support me as I try to get a master's degree. And it's gonna be exciting. And then I'll have something I'll be launching in the next couple months. I'm partnering with some media teams I think ultimately my goal, this is going to sound weird, is to like erase myself and not have Maggie Thorne be the brand, but something else exists that lasts beyond me that can pass on as a legacy for other people where it becomes their own thing. And they're not just like, oh, I go to your page and it's so inspiring. Yes, I love it and I appreciate it. What can I help other people make their own? And that becomes their legacy within themselves. So that's a goal. That's a beautiful thing. I love that. And I love legacy. And I think it's, um, I think as parents, you get to a point where you start to actually think about it. You know, you have this, this breath. And I say the second, you know, you come up as a parent, you know, when you, the toddlers are sleeping through the night, you have like a year and you start saying, what am I going to do with my life? And then you're, you immediately become enveloped with like, what's my legacy? What am I leaving on earth? <laughs> There's never, <laughs> ever an expectational break for me anyway. And so it's, yeah. Um, yours is beautiful. I love that. Um, we're running out of time, but I do want to ask you, Maggie, um, what do you, if, if you ran up to someone next tomorrow and a safe social distance at a garden or a park 
and it was a young woman and she said, listen, um, we have a friend in common and um, they, they said, I've got to come talk to you. I've had this wonderful career as a student athlete. I then spent the next decade involved in this area that in the beginning I didn't necessarily have the training for and became prolific at. And I was very proud of all of those things, but I'm going to actually pivot now and do this wonderful, you know, obstacle course slash television show and um, hope for the best. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual knowing what you know now? I would ask her or him, what number one, why do you want to do it? What's your purpose behind it? Because the training and commitment for it is so hard. If that isn't behind it, it's going to make it all that more difficult. So I'd really want to know that first and have a compass of, well, then here, here's where you go from there and being able to make it it's, it's 24 seven training. And what I mean with that is your rest is training, your water's training, your nutrition, the people you surround yourself with is training. It's, it's a full-time commitment. It's not something you turn on and off during the day to the point that like I stopped wearing high heels for a while because it was too impact. Like my legs couldn't handle it. And again, I'm older, but there's those three things. Why do you want to do it? Letting them know it's a full-time commitment and then building a really solid foundation so you're able to get the experience and have the best experience possible. Because if, if I think if you go into it, and I'll say this for anybody, anything you go into, if your expectation is, is just to win, I think you walk away with the loss. You have to walk into it with purpose and passion, because if you don't win, but you still know you give everything you got, that's a victory. Absolutely. Yeah, a thousand percent, I think, with everything in life, too. Measurements are, you know, first of all, usually not constructed by the person competing in them. So developing your own sounds very solid. So loosely, I have number one, know your purpose and why. Training is hard, so you need to know um, where all of your passion and purpose is coming from and what they are identified. Number two, training is 24-7 through 65, encompassing all aspects of your life. Remember that. And number three, build a solid foundation for the best experience possible. And um, the goal isn't just to win. I love that. That's why you're the pro. Good job. Thank you very much. Well, I'm so thankful that you spoke with us today. Maggie, we're out of time, but I just wanted to say, again, I really appreciate um, everything that you've, you've given us today. And I know that there's a lot of personal narrative tied into your professional story, and I really do appreciate your candor and honesty. Thank you for the opportunity, and I appreciate what you're doing to educate, empower, and equip people across the nation and globally. Absolutely. For everyone listening, we've been speaking with Maggie Thorne. Um, she's an athlete, motivational speaker. You can find out more uh, regarding everything that she is doing on her website, www.maggythorne.com. That's M-A-G-G-I-T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Thank you for giving us your time today. And until we speak again next time, remember to stay healthy, stay safe, and always bet on yourself. Sunshine. So